Hi, Mike Gibson, Tony DeMario coming to you live from San Diego here at Sky 2018. Easy trip for you, coming right from home over to uh, the meeting. Yeah, well, uh, they said there was no honorarium, but I could travel first class. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to us about the Hildner Lectures. What did you talk about today? So I had a couple of messages. Uh, I, I the, entitled it Interventional Cardiology at a Pivot Point. And, and the gist of that was that interventional cardiology to this point in time has been 90, 95% coronary and vascular. But structural is emerging very rapidly. Now, from the vascular standpoint, although the role of interventional cardiology in acute coronary syndromes is clear. It's not so clear in chronic stable angina. If you look at Courage and you look at Orbiter and some earlier trials, it's not clear which patients in the chronic stable angina category will benefit from intervention. And so I think that population is going to shrink for a while while people do coronary physiology, mm -hmm. hardcore physiology, to determine in which patients the obstructive lesion causes the ischemia and in which patients the ischemia is due to something else like microvascular dysfunction. But at the same time as that's constricting, I see an explosion in structural interventions. Uh, the aortic valve is here, mitral will come, tricuspid is being investigated. Um, you have all the congenital <clears throat> lesions that, that are susceptible to catheter intervention. And there's, there's even things like balloon pulmonary artery dilation for chronic thromboembolic disease and, and even renal artery denervation is making Still a alive. bit of a comeback. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I guess what I would say is that interventional cardiology will always have a firm basis in coronary and vascular interventions. But if I was betting, I would bet that maybe as much as 50% of cath lab volume will be structural in the next five years. Tony, so many people say, boy, it's really tough in medicine today. You've had a long career. Is it tougher today or has it always been a struggle? So I, I think that today the struggle probably relates most to to the economic factors. Um, we used to have a lot more independence. Uh, it was a more lucrative profession and, and, and that's changing now. I think the last data I saw 75% of cardiologists are now employed. Right, used to be almost the inverse, right? Absolutely the inverse and with, with that employment comes restrictions on what you can do and how you can do it and and that's changed things a fair amount on the other hand it's such an exciting time 
to be a cardiologist, just go around the sky meeting and look at all the innovation that's coming, structural heart disease and coronary artery disease, uh, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, cell therapy. Uh, it, it, it's, it's really an exciting time. And I can't think of anything I'd rather do than be a doctor. I mean, I, I yeah. couldn't see myself selling life insurance. No, or, sure. So, so when people ask me, you know, would you advise your kids to go into medicine? I said, absolutely. Absolutely. What were some of the high points uh, throughout all these years? So, I, I, I think way back, uh, when I, f- I first started uh, the explosion in imaging, mm-hmm. you know, when I was junior faculty, echocardiography was coming in and, and nuclear medicine, and, and all of a sudden we had a lot more data to go by than we ever had before. Uh, the vasodilator concept of the treatment of heart failure was a big deal. When I was an intern, people thought if you gave a vasodilator, you'd kill the patient. If you gave a beta blocker, you'd kill the patient. So that was a big thing. And then Andreas Grunzen came along with with intervention, and that was an extraordinary change that that you could treat people with a catheter instead of uh, instead of doing bypass. And one thing, Mike that's always impressed me. None of these things received funding from the funding agencies. Nobody uh, gave Rene Favolaro a nickel for developing bypass surgery or Harvey Fagenbaum for echo or Andreas Grunzig for intervention. For all the millions and millions and millions of dollars that are spent on research, most of the big clinical advances really were unfunded. And always one of my favorite quotes is, stop telling me it's impossible while I'm doing it. (laughs) So that's very true. You know, I was on the way out reading a Harvard Business Review article on leadership. Leaders are always defined by certain kind of pivotal moments uh, that were challenges that they overcame, and that kind of molds them and shapes them. What were some of those critical moments for you in your journey as a leader? So I'm not sure I'm qualified as a leader, but but I would say pivotal points in my life when I was coming out of the service, uh, selecting a fellowship, I was fortunate enough to be offered positions at Yale, at, at, at Duke, at Emory. And I chose to go to a very small program that was starting in Davis, California. Most people couldn't even identify Davis, California on the map. And, 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 and that was the most important thing that ever happened in my life. Because it was small, I had direct access to, to Dean Mason and, and the rest of the faculty. And if I came up with an idea that weren't two or three people stacked up ahead of me that you had to go through, and, and it was an extraordinary opportunity, just an extraordinary opportunity uh, to grow academically, 
And then as a bonus, uh, uh, when Dean Mason became president of the American College of Cardiology, that opened some doors for me to be active. Uh, and, and so if I look back on, on my career and whatever I, I've been able to accomplish, I trace it all back to that, that decision not to go to a big, prestigious, established program and not to demand that I have somebody hold my hand to teach me how to do everything. Uh, I, I, I think that was a seminal event in my life that helped me every step of the way. Who are some of the biggest mentors in your career? Who really had an impact on your career? So, Dean Mason, for sure. Um, he, he went to Davis when the NIH group broke up. Gene Brownwell went to San Diego, etc. And, and Dean was my mentor for, for 10 years at, at UC Davis. Um, I would say in terms of medical societies, Charlie Fish, who, who was for many years the chief at Indiana University, mm -hmm. became a close friend and, 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 and helped me a lot, helped, helped steer me through the societal politics, if you will. And then when I became editor of Jack, I was blessed with having Gene Brownwald as the head of the publications committee. And uh, I, I, I should have paid to have the opportunity to go meet with him for all the sage advice uh, that he gave me. I, 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 would, I would say those are three of, of a number of people who've impacted my career. A lot of young people here at Sky, if you had to give them a little advice looking over all this career, what would you, what would you tell them? I'd tell them to go where their heart is. You know, fellows often say, or even residents, medical residents question, well, should I go into cardiology? I hear there are too many cardiologists. Or should I do intervention? Or, you know, there, I, I understand that, that the indications for intervention are going away and, and things like that. And I, I've always told them to go where their heart is. Uh, there's always room for a good doctor. Always room for a good doctor. Uh, and it, they'll be much happier and they will make whatever discipline they go in better. The other thing I always advise them, and I think is overlooked often, is to make sure that they take care of their non-medical life. You know, that's so important. If, if your family life is good, then everything else will follow. Conversely, if it's not good, then things things are messy and you know we get wrapped up medicine is a jealous mistress yes and you get wrapped up so much and and especially for those of us in medicine it's when we go home at night our job's not done that's right. when we're you know going over data and so on and so forth 
there's always something to do. And so it's really important for these young people to carve out time uh, for their non-medical life to make sure there's balance. Sage words. Tony, thanks for coming by today. Thanks for joining us here. Sure thing. Congratulations. Big fan of yours. And thanks to all of you for joining us here live from Sky 2018.